In today's episode, we are going over an evidence-based guide to physical therapy rehabilitation after arthroscopic rotator cuff repair surgery. Let's do it. All right, so what's the problem with rotator cuff repair surgery? Well, first and foremost, rotator cuff-related pain is the number one most common type of shoulder pain reported in the medical literature. It is extremely common, and therefore the repair is actually common as well. One of the issues with rotator cuff repairs that they will often re-tear and the rates are highly dependent on the type of tear. However, in some studies are as high as 94%, right? So essentially almost hundred percent of all rotator cuff tears in some studies will re-tear over the course of time, right? And this is not common for the majority of rotator cuff repairs, obviously, but it does end up getting a little alarming from a physical therapy standpoint, because we actually do know that what we choose from a physical therapy perspective to do with our patients will influence their outcomes and also influences whether or not they re-tear over the course of time, right? So if I go too fast, am I going to cause a re-tear? Uh, if I'm not going fast enough, will I not facilitate healing, right? Uh, what should a physical therapist do? The other piece that becomes very, very confusing is that there's a huge variance in different protocols in patients that have rotator cuff repair surgery, you may have one patient that comes in and the physician has no sling on the patient and active range of motion starts at, let's say, four weeks. And you might have another patient that comes in at week 10 and they were in a sling for six weeks and they're not allowed to do any sort of strengthening until they get to month three or month four even, right? So there's huge variance between different protocols. And the other piece is that the medical literature is relatively clear in the sense that some tears can potentially be pushed a little faster than others. So it's not just like every single rotator cuff tear repair should be treated the same, right? And the thing is, as physical therapists, we want to try to optimize our outcomes. We want to minimize the risk of re-tears. So how the heck should we go about this? What should physical therapy rehabilitation look like? And what should be those differences from patient A to patient B with different size tears, different occupations, going back to different sports, et cetera, et cetera. So in today's episode, we're going to go over outcomes following rotator cuff repair surgery. Does the surgery work well? Are patients happy, satisfied? Do they get back to their sport after they finish up getting the repair surgery? Should you immobilize and put a sling on the shoulder following rotator cuff repair? When should you initiate range of motion exercises? And this goes for passive range of motion as well as active range of motion. Is there a difference between accelerated physical therapy program and more standard or conservative programs? What are factors that are going to influence the rate of progression and also healing rates? And lastly, what are return to sport times and rates? Are people returning back to sport? Are they getting back to the same level as did before? Is there a difference between different types of sports, right? And lastly, how about barbell athletes? So the folks that we love working with, you know, as physical therapists that really enjoy strength and fitness. Now, before we really get going, I want to let you know about a free resource. I have made a rotator cuff tendinopathy and rotator cuff tear evidence-based cheat sheet for you to check out. It's 100% free. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can check it out. We go over, go over rotator cuff tear prevalence, anatomy, the difference between a tendinitis and tendinosis. We go over risk factors for tears and tendinopathy. We go over the clinical presentation, common tear types, rehab expectations, as well as surgical candidates. So who is the best candidate for rotator cuff repair surgery? Because not all folks are going to need surgery. So we'll go over all of that in this cheat sheet. I'll leave the link in the show notes, 100% free. Go grab it. 
And welcome to the Fitness Pain-Free Show. This is where we help coaches and physical therapists like yourself get your patients out of pain and back in the gym where they belong. My name is Dan Pope. I'm a physical therapist. I'm a coach, personal trainer, and a meathead. I love all things fitness. I have my dream job as a physical therapist, coach, business owner, and educator, and I've been doing it for a few decades now. My goal is to help you reach your goals so you can be as happy as I am. Now, I want to put a little standard disclaimer in the mix here. Uh, if you are an individual that just had rotator cuff repair, this is in no ways a guide to your rehabilitation. All right. You definitely want to try to get guidance from a physical therapist or surgeon. Do not take my advice. Do not go ahead and just do everything that I talk about here today. I think it's very important that I state that. The second piece is that I am not going to include a protocol here. This is not going to say week two, start this week four, start this. I'm really kind of summarizing the evidence and just helping you to critically reason as a physical therapist or coach to try to figure out what's best for your patient, right? If you want some really good in-depth information on how to treat rotator cuff repairs, I highly recommend you checking out anything from Kevin Wilk. I call him the rotator cuff repair master. He has a ton of great courses out there. Lots of good free information as well. Go into Google, throw in his name next to rotator cuff. You'll find all sorts of great stuff. And lastly, if you do want a decent protocol, I find myself recommending the protocols over in the University of Delaware quite a bit. And uh, I'll leave those uh, protocols as a link in the show notes if you want to check that out. They have a bunch of really good protocols for rotator cuff repair. So what are the outcomes following arthroscopic rotator cuff repair? Basically, do these patients do well? Do they get back to their prior level activity? Are they satisfied or happy with the repair? So generally speaking, yes, right? But I always look at these studies when they say there's a good outcome, and I wonder what the heck does good even mean, right? So generally, you'll find improvements in people's pain, in their function, in the reported quality of life. Also, they'll have improvements in shoulder-related outcome measures, and all that is good stuff, right? Another stat that I actually really enjoyed was that 90% of patients are satisfied with surgery six months after surgery, and this was maintained at five years, right? I think this actually is a big tell because if you're considering whether or not you should go ahead and get rotator cuff repair surgery, it kind of helps to know that most people are pretty satisfied with the surgery. Generally speaking, in the social media world, I think there's a big push, at least from physical therapists, not to perform surgery, right? And this is not the discussion for today of whether or not you should get a rotator cuff repair and which ones should be repaired and which ones shouldn't. But largely, I think we're very fearful of getting repair. Uh, but the other pieces that folks that do get this tend to do pretty well, uh, despite some of these high retail rates. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. The discussion is nuanced, right? Um, but I will say overall, I found that folks had really good outcomes in the medical literature. Um, personally, as an anecdote, I think most folks do pretty well after rotator cuff repair that I've worked with too. So there you go. So how about return to sport after rotator cuff repair, right? Let's say you're not a 65-year-old sedentary individual, right, who's just getting rotator cuff repair surgery because their shoulder hurts all the time. You actually can't do the sport that you love, and you would like to not only get out of pain, but also try to get back to your sport. And you'd like to get back to the same level or a higher level than you were prior to getting hurt. What are the outcomes for athletes? Well, generally speaking, they're, they're quite good for athletes as well. And they have improved outcome measures, improved pain, improved function, and their quality of life also goes up, right? And that's good stuff. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the specific return to sport rates because it's a little bit different 
uh, competitive versus let's say recreational. Uh, it's going to vary based on the sport as well. Right. But generally about 87% of athletes will return to sport after rotator cuff repair. Pretty good. And about 80% will return at the, at the same level prior to surgery. Uh, and this is actually super important because if you compete at a very high level of sport and you get hurt and you get a rotator cuff repair, if you're not getting back to the same level of sport, I wouldn't call that a successful procedure, right? I think a success would be you get out of pain, you get back to your sport and you get back at the same level of play, right? So generally speaking, most folks are returning back. And this is a nuanced discussion. We'll talk about this a little bit later. But uh, it's not like every single person has a cuff repair and they get back exactly the same way they were before. And I think this is sometimes a good expectation for docs to talk to their patients about is that this will help you, uh, but may not get you back to 100%, right? But there's a good like that it will. So guys, if you like what you're learning about so far, then I want you to go and check out the Fitness Pain-Free mini course. So I made a mini course. It's absolutely free. That's the next logical step if you want to learn more from me. So in the course, we go over five lessons. That first lesson is how traditional schooling has failed us, right? So schooling is phenomenal from a physical therapy perspective, but doesn't really teach you how to work with high-level athletes in the fitness world, right? Doesn't always teach you how to do the lifts appropriately. Doesn't teach you about progressions and regressions of common lifts within the gym. Doesn't teach you how to program normally, how to write rehab programs or how to write injury prevention programs for these folks. Next thing we go over, Seven reasons why people get hurt in the gym, four simple steps to getting your clients out of pain, how to build the career of your dreams and earn the respect of your community. It's all well and good if you know exactly how to work with folks within the gym, but if you can't get these folks through the door on a regular basis, then you're simply not going to be living the dream that you want to because you can't get the patients through the door that you want to work with. Okay. So I'll show you how to do that. And lastly, we'll talk a little bit about the fitness pain-free certification, right? So I'll leave a link in the show notes. I definitely recommend checking this out. Once you sign up for the fitness pain-free mini course, you will be automatically placed in the wait list for the fitness pain-free certification. Now, the fitness pain-free certification is the course, the certification that I wish I had as a new grad that fills in all the gaps in knowledge that you don't get in physical therapy school. So A, you'll gain complete confidence working with injuries in the strength and fitness world. You'll learn optimal technique for both health and performance from myself and some of the best coaches in the world. You'll master programming for rehabilitation and injury prevention. Have fun while earning a whole bunch of physical therapy and physical therapy assistance credits. You have 31.5 of those. You'll also gain NSCA credits as well as CrossFit credits if you need those. This is the equivalent of a university education in working with injuries in the weight room. I really believe that. I've been adding to this thing over the past five or six years. It's massive, a ton of phenomenal information. And lastly, the biggest goal is just to fill your day with the patients you love working with and building the respect and admiration of the communities you love working with. So I'll leave a link in the show notes. Sign up for the Fitness Pain-Free mini course. The certification is open four times per year for one week to enroll into. If you're on the wait list by signing up for the fitness pain-free mini course, I'll alert you when that next enrollment period is open and you can get started. Let's get back to the show now. So what are the retear rates like after rotator cuff repair? So what is a retear? So essentially, if you have rotator cuff repair surgery, <clears throat> then after the surgery, at some point following the surgery, uh, most tears are happening somewhere between zero and six months after you have a rotator cuff repair. If you have the tendon partially tear again or fully tear again or fail in the sense that maybe it never took in the first place, 
uh, they would call that a retear or a failure, right? And we got some research to show that these retear rates are somewhere between 11% and up to 94% of all rotator cuff repairs will retear, which is kind of crazy. Uh, the overall rate is going to be around 17% at six months. Uh, the majority of folks that are going to retear, they will retear within the first six months. So probably is capturing most of the folks that do retear, right? And the thing is, the larger the tear, right, the more likelihood there is that you're going to retear over the course of time. So only 5% of partial thickness tears will retear. 27% of full thickness tears will retear. And the large, massive, retractive tears are really the ones that are likely to fail again in the future. Okay. The other piece about rotator cuff repair uh, rehabilitation that's kind of funky is that if you have a repair and afterwards it retears, chances are you're still going to have a good outcome, right? Uh, so I'll say it again because it's a little bit confusing. Let's say you have two patients, right? They both get rotator cuff repair surgery. At the six month mark, one person retears and the other person doesn't. And neither of them have uh, any sort of insight into whether or not the repair is actually, you know, working at this point. Uh, they're going to have a similar outcome generally. Okay. This is going to kind of depend on the study that you read. But what's really interesting about these is that once you repair a rotator cuff, even if it does retear, chances are you're still going to have an improved outcome over not doing any repair whatsoever. So the first topic I wanted to talk about is whether or not you should wear a sling after surgery and how long should you keep that sling on, right? To stay as safe as possible. Now, I was looking at a study by Matlack et al. in 2021. So a relatively recent study. It was actually probably the most recent kind of a meta-analysis on the topic that I could find. And it was a systematic review. So they took a whole bunch of different studies and they lumped them all together. And they were looking at between small and large tears and this is actually pretty important because uh, one of the take-home messages that we'll go over in the next few lessons is that there's a difference between uh, the way you treat a small tear and the way you treat a large tear. But in this study, they included small all the way up to large full thickness tears. They did not include any massive uh, or fully retracted rotator cuff tears from what I can see. Okay, What they were looking at was early versus delayed use of a sling, right? So early basically means that as soon as 24 hours after surgery, you're not wearing the sling. In the other group, these folks were wearing a sling for at least four weeks, right? So what happened? At the six and then again at the 12-month mark, there was no difference in outcomes between the two different groups. In another study by Tirefort et al. in 2019, they were looking at the same thing. So basically, no immobilization, no sling whatsoever versus wearing a sling for the first four weeks. And afterwards we start to ditch the sling, right? They were looking at small to medium tears. So they weren't looking at large tears like the last study was, right? And what they found is that there was better early mobility and functional scores in comparison versus sling immobilization. So essentially, if you wore a sling, you'd get a little bit stiffer, right? So post-operative immobilization with a sling may therefore not be required for patients treated for a small or medium tendon tear. Now, I really wanted to find a study to compare against these two types of tears. So basically we had small all the way up to large tears. I would have loved to see a study that included some massive tears some fully retracted tears 
and then adding in a sling to see if that influenced retail rates over the course of time. I couldn't find any, but suffice to say that between, let's say, a small to a large tear, uh, tear with the two studies that we just included, seems like using a sling uh, is one of those things that doesn't seem to influence outcomes too much. And if you do wear a sling, it might actually make you a little bit stiffer and reduce your outcomes. If you guys are liking what you're listening to right now and you want to continue with the rolling, I have another video for you. It's called When Do Rotator Cuff Repairs Fail? So unfortunately, a chunk of these rotator cuff repair surgeries will fail, right? And it's important as physical therapists know when these are actually occurring so we can be a little bit more cautious during this time period. So I'll leave a link above my head and go ahead and learn a little bit more about when rotator cuff repairs fail after surgery. Lastly, I just want to say thank you so much for your support. You truly allow me to do what I love for a living. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit that like button. Leave a comment for me. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this and subscribe to the channel. It helps me out tremendously. If you are listening or viewing the podcast version of this, please leave me a positive rating and review. It helps out tremendously. It allows me to continue doing what I love to do and helping you guys out in the process. If you want to go that extra step in supporting me, consider subscribing to Insiders. What's Insiders? It's a comprehensive educational resource and toolkit for the fitness and rehab professional. All this content is produced by me. Think Netflix, but for trainers and physical therapists. It's premium content similar to this podcast, but more in-depth. If you, if you really like what you're learning from Fitness Pain-Free, this is that next step to go deeper with your learning. I've been updating it monthly for the past five years or so. There's a tremendous amount of information in there. You've got over 100 webinars, eBooks, and complete guides. You have access to a private Facebook group where you can have all of your questions answered by me. You can decide upcoming podcast ep episodes. It's cheap to get started. There's a $1 one-week trial. Afterwards, it's just 10 bucks a month. And lastly, you can cancel any time. So if you want to get started, I'll leave a link in the show notes, or you can head over to fitnesspainfree.com, click on the programs link, and then click on Fitness Pain-Free Insiders Online Library to get going. Lastly, if you want to check out any of the references, I'm going to leave those in the show notes as well. You can see exactly where I'm getting this information from.